in the message. And we're going to look at covenants today. Say covenants and Christmas. How in the world do those two go together? They go together. And we're going to look at that today. And we got to dive right in so that we get through the message today. There's a lot of good stuff you're going to see today in this message. And I know there are some nerds in here that think they have everything figured out about the covenants, and that's fine. There are a few things you might not know today that I'm going to help you with. But we started last week and during the month of December and the last week of November, so five Sundays, we're going from creation to the consummation of Christ. Because it's not just about the first two chapters of Matthew and Luke. It's about the whole Bible. It's about all that Jesus did. You see, the Christmas story begins at creation. We looked at that last week. And we studied that out last week. And we move from the creation of the world. I also mentioned last week, because I've only got five total weeks, I mentioned the catastrophe that took place. What was the catastrophe? The fall of man in the garden. I mentioned end of last week's message. God created a perfect world. God made everything perfect. And as he made everything perfect, he placed Adam and Eve into a garden. And in that garden, God told them they could eat of any fruit of the trees except for one. And what did they do? They ate of that one. It changed everything. The perfect creation became scarred by sin. And so creation, it begins with, it moves to catastrophe, which is the fall of man. And today, we're stepping into our second sermon, but the third of the six C's, covenants. And how God pursues his people. We're going to look from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And I know sometimes you think about the covenants and things, and you might say, Pastor, are you going to... Bore me. There's nothing boring about this today. When you see what God promised and how God delivered it in Jesus Christ, you're going to be amazed by the end of the message this morning. Jeremiah 31. Look with me at verse number 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I wasn't husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Father, I pray you'd bless the time that we have today. I thank you for this passage of Scripture and I pray that you'd help us as we look at the Scriptures today and help us see all that you have for us today. Help us as we go back and we look at the covenants that were made between you and your people. And then we see Jesus and the new covenant. Help us today focus in and get something from your word. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen. We started by looking at the creation of the world. We saw the fall of man. And today we're going to retell God's salvation story. Utilizing the major covenants to do so. And after all, properly understood, the Bible is not about you and me. It's all about God and God keeping his promises to his people. Do you know who the hero of the story is in the Bible? It's Jesus. He is the hero. It's all about him. The Bible tells us in 2 Kings chapter 23 and verse number 2, the Bible is called the book of the covenant. And properly understood, we look at the Bible split up into two testaments, right? The Old Testament and the New Testament. But if you want to understand something, in all reality, really what the Bible is, the word testament comes from the Latin word for covenant. So really what the Bible is, the Old Testament is the Old Covenant. The New Testament is the New Covenant. That's really what the Bible is broken up into. And some of you might not have known that today, but as we dive in today, there are lots of things that we're going to see that will help us. God's response to rebellious man is to reach out by making a covenant. Covenants address the catastrophe of the fall of men. They point us to the birth of Christ. They lead us to the cross. Someone has defined a covenant as a life and death relationship with God on his terms. Hey, with a covenant, there's no bargaining, no negotiations. God conceives the covenant and he confirms it. When we think about a covenant, you think about the difference between a contract and a covenant. I wrote down in your notes some things about covenants today. The first thing about a covenant is it's permanent. A covenant is a permanent agreement, and contracts often have an end date. Like you go buy a car, right? And you sign a contract to pay it off in five years or six years. And there's the end date where your last payment will be. And when the last date is done, the contract is done for the car. On a covenant, there is no end date. It's a permanent thing. Second thing we see about a covenant is, it's, is that it's total. A contract generally involves only one aspect or skill or task. And while a covenant, it covers a person's total being. Contracts generally involve the exchange of goods or services, while covenants involve the exchange of individuals themselves. So covenants are permanent, they're total, they're initiative. Someone needs to take the first step. In the Bible, who initiates all the covenants? God always takes the first step. Man never took the first step with God. God always takes the first step. Next, number four, they're unilateral. And I, I, a lawyer friend reminded me that a contract requires two or more parties, and there is no such thing as a unilateral contract, but God makes unilateral covenants with his people. And unconditional love is a part of this covenant. The foundation of all of God's covenants with his people is love. Covenant love is described in various terms, but most common is the fact how God communicates the idea of his faithfulness, his love in action. It's what Jeremiah had to say in the book of Lamentations, chapter number 3. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. 
his, un his unconditional love. That's a part of covenants. And then we see a covenant is costly. When God makes a covenant, he keeps it. When he makes a promise, you can count on God to follow through on whatever he says. The Bible tells us in Psalm 105, 42, For he remembered his holy promise and Abraham his servant. What we're going to do this morning, and I know you got lots of notes, but I want you to have all the scriptures this morning for all the different passages. We're going to go through and we're going to look at several points this morning. We're going to dive right in with number one. We see number one, the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant. You call it the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. When we think about the Old Covenant, and as we go through here, we see letter A, the first covenant we're going to talk about today is the covenant that God made with Noah. God made a covenant with Noah. And as we continue after Adam and Eve's sin, we see that sin got worse and worse. And that's the problem in our world today. This world's not going to get better. Things just get worse and worse and worse. You go back to Adam and Eve, the fall. It was bad enough that they sinned against God, right? But then what do we see happen right after this? Abel is killed by his brother Cain. Murder right away. And you see that things are just getting worse and worse. And in Genesis chapter number 6, verse 5 and 6, it gives us a description of how sinful this world was. And God saw the wicked man was great in the earth. And look at this. We think it's bad today. I don't know that every imagination of our thoughts is what it says here. That's what the Bible says. That every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Because sin was so out of control, God decided to send a flood to wipe mankind out. And... But there's a man that found grace in the eyes of the Lord, Noah. The Bible also tells us in Genesis 6.11, as it talks about this, the earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Doesn't that sound like our world today? When we look at these things, and you want to understand what Christmas is all about, it only makes sense in the backdrop of realizing how corrupt mankind is. The incarnation is filled with meaning precisely because of the evil in the human heart. The Savior was sent to save sinners. God sends a worldwide flood, but Noah and his family members were saved, and they entered the ark. And Noah is given the same mission that God gave to Adam to do in Genesis 9-1, where he told him, 9-1 says, Be and multiply and replenish the earth. God makes then a covenant with Noah in Genesis 9-11. And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. You see the covenant God said, I will not do this again. 
That's why the rainbow is so significant to the salvation story. And long before anyone else decided to steal the rainbow for themselves, it has always been and always will be God's sign of his covenant to Noah. The Bible tells us, and you look, and the Bible says, I believe it's the next verse there, verse 16, and the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. So God made a covenant with Noah that he would never flood the earth again like he did. And that covenant is for all people. You say, well, there are floods that arise. There are, but there are no worldwide destroy all of mankind floods that rise up. And every time you see a rainbow in the sky, it's a reminder of the fact that God said he would never do that again. And God fulfills his promise. The first covenant God made that we're looking at today, we see the covenant of Noah and we see this covenant made. The first explicit mention of covenant refers to the initiative taken by God to enter into relationships with human beings despite their depravity. Letter A, we see the covenant with Noah. Letter B, we see the covenant with Abraham. These are important today. Years later, long after Noah, God pursues a man by the name of Abram, and he changes his name to Abraham. We know that this morning. And God tells him to move to a new land and to a new location. We see that in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. The Bible tells us, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I will show thee. A great nation, and I will bless thee, and will make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the Lord be blessed. God gave Abram a promise. God sets up a covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. For sake of time, we cannot go through all of that today, but what happens here is, and we see throughout the Bible that when we talk about an agreement or a covenant, there it's mentioned 325 times throughout the Bible, making a covenant. Now, God tells Abraham that he's going to make a covenant with him. And Abraham's question is, well, how can I know that this is going to be the case? In Genesis 15, God tells Abraham to gather a heifer, a goat, and a ram along with a dove and a young pigeon. And you see, for a covenant, this has to take place. He then takes the heifer, the goat, and the ram and cuts those three animals into two and leans the two halves against the wall of a trench. The blood of those animals runs down into a trench along the path between the carcasses. You might say, that's bloody. Didn't I say covenants are costly? Now, something that is so neat that most Christians don't even realize in Genesis 15. Pay attention here for a minute. And Abraham 
would have understood from this that God was getting a covenant ready to sign. They were getting ready to, you ever hear the saying, cut a deal? That's where that comes from. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah 34, 18, it says, And I will give the men that have transgressed my covenant, which have not performed the words of the covenant, which they had made before me, when they cut the calf in twain and passed between the parts. In Genesis chapter 15, I think after Abraham cut those animals in half and had them lean against the wall, he was waiting to walk into covenant with God. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter number 15, in verse number 12, it tells us that God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Abram. And it says, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And God was letting him know that hardships are ahead for his people. And that's when it's dark. But as that verse goes on, and I don't think it's in your notes there, but in Genesis 12, verse 15, I want you, I'll, I'm going to go there, and if you want to go there, I want you to see this verse if you're able to. Because this is going to be pretty neat here in a second. Sometimes we read through covenants and things, and we miss some very good stuff. It's one of those things that you might miss. Genesis 15, verse number 12. Verse, and it says, And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve I will, ju will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation then shall come hither again. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Now look at the rest of this verse. Look at verse number 17. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark... Behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. What pieces are we talking about? Those three animals that were cut in half? Does Abraham walk through the middle of this covenant? No, what does it say right there? It says that there is a smoking furnace and a burning lamp. Which when you look at that... And when you look, you, it, the furnace and the lamp represent God. Showing that this covenant that God was making with Abraham was not based on Abraham. It could not fail because of Abraham. It was there because God said it. So in that dream, and as we see that, and, as the, and as at the, as when the sun went down and all those things, you had all those animals cut in pieces, God went through there and established the covenant. Verse 18 of chapter 15 says, And in the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed shall I give this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. God passed this covenant along. Genesis 17, 19, And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, 
and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. So you can follow God's covenant from Noah. I'll never flood the earth again. To a man named Abraham. And God says your seed will go on forever. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And you see that this covenant was not based on man and what man did. It was based on God and his promise. Letter C. And we're running out of time, but we've got to get through this. Letter C. We see the covenant with Moses. Did you see how long before the children of Israel are 400 years in bondage, God told Abraham what was going to take place? You see that there? God knew it. God had it all planned out. God knew what was going to happen. During the time of Joseph, the Israelites move into Egypt. We know that. We've been studying it on Wednesday nights to escape the famine. And a different Pharaoh rises up. And over time, there was a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph. 400 years they'd been there, and there's 400 years of bondage. The people cry out to God. And the Bible tells us in Exodus 2, verse 24 and 25, and God heard their groaning. And look at this. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. It didn't take long. God leads them out of Egypt. It doesn't take the people long to stray and they end up worshiping a golden calf after they said that they would follow God and do God's way. But God continues to pursue his people. Exodus 34, verse number 10. And he said, Behold, I will make a covenant before all thy people I will do marvels. Such has not been done in all the earth nor in any nation. And all the people among which thou art shall see the work of the Lord for it is a terrible thing that I will do unto thee. And as you may know from reading the Old Testament, God's people did not keep their end of the bargain at all. They continued to break their covenant with God. And I love, and the book of Leviticus gets long at times, but some of my favorite verses in all of Leviticus come from Leviticus 26, verse 44 and 45. It says, and yet, for all that, when they be in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away. Neither will I abhor them to destroy them utterly and to break my covenant with them. No matter what they do, I'm not going to break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. But I will, for their sakes, remember the covenant of their ancestors whom I brought forth out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the heathen, that I might be their God, I am the Lord. And as a result of God's covenant with Noah, sinners got a chance to multiply and fill the earth again. Through his covenant with Abraham, his descendants became a nation. And in God's covenant with Moses, God's people were planted in the promised land. And this sets the stage for the establishment of God's covenant with David, letter D. We're going somewhere this morning. There's a lot of stuff today, I know. We see the covenant with Noah. We've seen the covenant with Abraham. We see the covenant with uh, Moses. We, now we see the covenant with David. Many years after God's children get to the promised land, King David is on the throne, 
And God makes a promise to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And God tells him in verse 12 and 13, And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. God said, David, your throne's going to go on forever. After David dies, Solomon has a good starting. And then Solomon trips up. And if you read through the books of the Chronicles, where you see the covenant promise remains front and center, but the kings keep disqualifying themselves and disobeying. And because of this, and because of all of this that takes place, there's a longing for a king who would come to fulfill the covenant that God made with David and to sit on David's throne to rule forever. The problem was there was no earthly king that could do what God said would take place. The Bible tells us in Psalm 89, verse 3 and 4, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David, my servant, that I will establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations. Selah. Verse 28 of that same passage tells us, My mercy will I keep for him forever. My covenant shall stand fast with him. So the old covenant. The Old Testament. We've seen the covenant made with Noah. We see the covenant made with Abraham. We see the covenant made with Moses. And we see the covenant made with David. Number two this morning, we see the new covenant. The new covenant. Before we leave the Old Testament... Read in Jeremiah again, 31. Behold the day come. Not according to the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law into their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God, and they shall be my people. Jeremiah prophesied or predicted the coming of a king and a new covenant. But it seemed like for years and years nothing was going to happen. Almost a thousand years passed from God's promise to David. And now there are 400 silent years after Malachi, last message. And while some had hope, maybe some held on, many had lost hope. Surely God would keep his covenant, wouldn't he? Now there's like God's forgotten about us, gone 400 years with nothing. But when we think about this new covenant, it leads us into point number three, and we're moving along this morning. We see Jesus Christ, the covenant keeper. We fast forward to the book of Luke, 
And as Zechariah looked down at his baby boy, John the Baptist, he knows that help is on the way. The long wait was finally over for the covenant to be fulfilled. Check out how, look at this, how Zechariah's, um, how it ties all together. Look at Luke 1, 72 and 73. To perform the mercy promised to the fathers, look at this, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham. You see how God's fulfilling his covenant that he made in the Old Testament. Do you remember the promise that God made to David? Well, think about Luke chapter 1, verse 27. To a virgin, a spouse, to a man whose name was Joseph. And whose house was Joseph of? The house of David. See that right before your eyes? God gave, through Gabriel, gave a message to Mary. And he called on the covenant with David in Luke 1, 31 through 33. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb. And bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him, look at this, the throne of his father, David. And he shall reign over the house of who? Jacob, forever. And his kingdom, there shall be no end. Do you see how the Lord keeps his covenant and how in all reality the covenant keeper is Jesus Christ? And do you see how all those Old Testament covenants mean a lot during Christmas because Jesus came. He's the fulfillment of these things. And Mary, as she contemplates all that the angels said unto her, she breaks out into a song in Luke 1, verse 54 and 55. He has hope in his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Do you see that? Do you see what Jesus did? The Bible tells us in Luke 2, verse number 4, that they had to go be taxed because he was the house and the lineage of David. Matthew chapter number 1, when we look there, look at what it says. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Do you see that right there? The Bible tells us in Matthew 1.20, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Do you recall what the people proclaimed on Palm Sunday? Matthew 21, 9. Yeah, Matthew 21, 9. There we go. And the multitude that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Do you remember what was written by Pilate on top of the cross in John 19, 19? And Pilate wrote a title and put it on a cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The best track ever written was put on top of the cross right there. 
Paul understood the covenant that Jesus fulfilled in Romans 1, verse number 3, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Jesus made it clear, and we're going to see in a few minutes when we take the Lord's Supper, but in Matthew 26, 28, Jesus said, For this is my blood of the new covenant, the New Testament which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Luke twenty two twenty records it likewise also the cup after supper, saying this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. The book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews calls Jesus the mediator of the New Covenant. And Hebrews 7.22, by so much was Jesus made surety of a better covenant. It's better because it does what the old covenant could not do. You know what the old covenant couldn't do? It couldn't remove sin. Do you notice how mankind started to replenish themselves in the days of Noah and they still were bad? They go into bondage, 400 years of bondage. And they still in the wilderness can't get it right. They get, we see what happens in the book of Judges. We go even further into the story and we see how God puts them in captivity again. They keep messing up. The new covenant was the blood of Jesus Christ shed for you and me to wash away my sins. That's why we can sing the song, What Can Wash Away My Sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I have some application points this morning, but I'm going to skip those application points. Later on, I'll um, send out a text with those points, and you can have those, and you can look at those later. I think this is a perfect spot in the message to transition this morning to the Lord's Supper.